Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. On this podcast, I'm joined by John Mullins, the Executive Chairman of Amenico. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Amarenko. Amarenko. Thank you very much, John. Typical fashion with this podcast, we go back to chapter one, work away from there. So starting chapter one, you grew up in Cork. If I'm correct, it was on Fort Street. Tell me about your upbringing in Cork. Any favorite memories? Uh, what was your childhood like? Ah, it was quite happy. I had four younger brothers, so there was plenty of confusion in our house. Uh, yeah, so we, I, I grew up in my early years were in Fort Street. Then I moved to a north side suburb called Knocknahini. The community school there is well known from the young offenders, if you've ever seen that. Yeah. And then I moved to uh, Model Farm Road at Bishopstown when I was around 15. Went to school in the North Monastery, a great school, great tradition of hurling and football and basketball and athletics. There was over 2,000 boys in the school, both primary and secondary school. So it was a big campus. I enjoyed all my time there. Went to the Grail School. So Irish was compulsory. My maths teacher was Don O'Grady, who's now a selector on the Cork Hurling setup. Hurling probably was the big sport in the school. And I was fortunate, fortunate enough to, uh, to do well at school and to persevere through the Leaving Cert. As a lot of young kids now know at this time of year, they're studying if they've opted to do the test and yeah I was fortunate to go to college in UCC and I was the first person from either side of my family to, to end up at university so yeah look it was it was a happy upbringing it had its challenges in various elements but but look my parents were great support and thankfully they're still alive to to see all of us flourish which is great. Was the nickname still the same back in the day was it called the Mon back in the day? Yeah yeah still called the Mon yeah and I'm still very active with the PPU and I, I, I get a chance to bring all the past pupils down to my golf club, uh, my own, you know, where I play golf down in East Cork. I live in Castlemartyr, so I'm a member of Castlemartyr Golf Club, and we have a, an annual outing every year, which I sponsor, and we put some money back into the school to help the kids, so that's uh, that's really important. Very cool. Now, this interview may be cut short, because all of my family are from Kilkenny, and I know you're uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, we have deep respect, as you well know, for Kilkelly Hurling and Brian Cody, and I've met Brian a good number of times and Henry Shefflin and all those guys and they're 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 a credit to Kilkenny and they're fantastic hurlers and they they may not have the best of teams now, but they'll come back, I've no doubt. Yeah, I was talking to my uncle last night. He's based in America. He was Glambia. Uh, he's retired now, but I said to him that I was chatting to you because he's at, he's interested in my guests. Yeah. And uh, he said there was a great rivalry between St. Kieran's and yeah. the Mon yeah. back in the day. So. Yeah, yeah, I played against them. Yeah, I, absolutely. And back in the 80s, I can tell you that, you know, both the Mon and, and St. Kieran's were, were the baseline of, of both county teams. And uh, I mean, you can go back as far as people like Jack Lynch, for example, w- went to the Mon. And it was, it's just all, all through the ages, um, the north side of Cork City uh, and right across. The Mon used to bring in people from the Rockies, like Tom Cashman, for example went to the Mon. So people from right around the county went to the Mon. Don O'Grady lived in the south side, but yet went to the Mon. So there's, there's plenty, there's plenty of but plenty of rivalry with St. Kieran's. And then in latter years, it was actually with St. Flannan's in, in Ennis, actually, where they were the big county Clare County, Tipperary County, uh, Limerick uh, side. So 
yeah, there was great rivalries actually uh, between schools. Before we move on to business, who is your current favorite hurler? Oh, my, my, look, it has to be, for me, it has to be Pat Horgan. I, I just think that Pat is just, for me, he's like the Ronaldo of, of hurling. I, I just, I'm amazed by what he can do. Uh, but I great a great time for, for hurlers like Joe Canning, for Henry Shefflin as was. I think they're outstanding. TJ Reid is just an outstanding Kilkenny hurler. But there's some really exciting young talent coming through now. And I think hurling is alive and well, thankfully. I think it's going to be here for many years to come. But guys like Mark Coleman playing with Cork now is just an He's a future captain of the team, an absolute colossus. Yeah, it's an amazing sport. Early days, we're, t- we're still thinking, we're still talking early, John. Who do you think inspired you the most or who had the biggest impact on you while growing up? I, I, I would say the biggest impact on me quite clearly would have been, it's actually, it's not a positive story. It's, a, it's actually a negative story. I used to play football on the streets and uh, a friend of mine actually happened to, to, to die prematurely at 13 years of age and it was just one of those things that and the circumstances I won't go into but the circumstances were tragic and it was tough to to go to a funeral of a guy you played football with at 13 years of age who died tragically and I, I at that stage and of course with, with with quite a number of conversations my parents decided maybe spending too much time in the street wasn't wasn't the right thing to be doing and maybe spending a bit more time concentrating on studies might be the right thing to do and that's exactly the orientation so that's a kind of negative story. And the positive story for me was, I think, look, I was very fortunate to have great teachers in the school and the whole kind of ethic of the school was to try and do your best and persevere. Uh, and, and I suppose all of the teachers there, and I mentioned uh, Donald O'Grady already, but there was Tony Duggan and Brother O'Connor and a whole number of others that, that, that actually drove the academic uh, element of what was going on in the school. But certainly I think the whole experience of, of for me, going to the school I went to actually did certainly create a, create the character. And many of us actually are like that. Many of us actually, so even those who hated going to certain schools, you'll find that actually that the character that comes out of certain schools reflects the ethic in those schools. And, and that for me has been certainly with me since I left school in 1985. Here's a couple of things I know about you already. That, so you've touched on your love for golf and hurling. You're also into cycling rugby you've been to places like hong kong and edinburgh you're a father i believe and i don't know if anyone knows this publicly but you're in a rock band in, in college or school yeah actually yeah. Fun, funnily enough actually i got today framed a piece of the floorboard of the college bar right yeah. today it was 40 quid to get it because they're redoing it but i was actually recounting that um today to some people at work that i remember a gig where brendan o'connor from rte was the opening act and we were the closing act of a, a college bar battle of the bands and uh, yeah no it was great fun in fact one of my buddies is, he was my best man actually Gary Moroni uh, was the drummer and Gary has sold two businesses uh, for quite a bit of money and he was a classmate of mine in, in engineering but we used to call Gary Halfbeat Moroni because he was always a halfbeat out by the way when it came to, to music but it was great fun. We had our own roadies, uh, Rian, and it was great fun. I spent six years in UCC and enjoyed uh, every one of them. With, with all of that, the band, the cycling, some beautiful places to cycle uh, on the side of Ireland. I'm based in Meath. What's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you? What's that? What's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you? 
I had a, I had a, I had a, a bit of a political past. I was uh, president of Young Fine Gael nationally. So when I did uh, try and go into politics at a very young age, but I failed miserably, Ray. So I went back into business and stuck at business, thankfully. You've not done too bad at business. What's your favorite aspect of leading a company? Because you've been CEO of two or three other companies in the past, yeah. now executive chairman of current company. Yeah, I, look, Ray, I, look, with anybody you speak to, it's about actually setting a target. It's no different to running a sports team or if you're involved in individual sports or whatever. You, I've no doubt in your own business, you set your own targets. You might, on the 1st of January, Generally speaking, I end up actually in the office on the 1st of January every year and I work out on a piece of paper what I'm going to do for the year. And I have it on my desk. And that's my own personal part of what the company is actually going to do. But quite clearly, we have a strategic plan in every company we're in. And it's not just my plan, it's the whole company's plan. And we all work within that plan. And we work to the objectives of that plan. And if we don't you know, meet those objectives over the course of a year, and into the following year, then we fail. And we don't like to do that. Certainly, I think if you think about when I went into Borgas, for example, it was a gas company. I wanted to basically convert it to an electricity company, put a bit of renewables into the mix, get a power station. And, and clearly the big switch came out of that. So that was the first big dual fuel offering in, in Ireland. And it was, it was something that we set out to do. We implemented it. It was very successful. Uh, and then we gave the company a bit more of a personality in retail terms. And of course, then it got privatized and it's now owned by, by, by Centrica. But even decisions like sponsoring the, the Borgash Energy Theater, for example, that was a big decision, but it, it was relevant because it, it was 70, 75% of bill payers in the country are, are women. So you had to appeal to, to women. A lot of sponsorship would have been orientated towards men rather than women. And uh, as a result, the opportunity for women to go and book a pantomime with a reward structure out of Borgash Energy made a lot of sense. And, and that's the whole logic. And we got involved in book clubs and ladies GAA, for example, all part of the, the demographic targeting of making sure that we were loyal to Manana Heron and Manana Heron were, were loyal to the brand. And that really was just one of the objectives that we had in, in, in Borgash. And the best strategic plans are, it's like any message from a coach in a dressing room it's the simple messages that actually matter. Make it simple and stupid. If it needs to be in tabloid English, make it in tabloid English. Don't overcomplicate it. And make sure, by the way, that when you actually look at that objective, that it's got a measure attached to it. So that if you want to have a million customers between gas and electricity, you say, that's the objective. We won't be happy until we reach that. It's very simple. You keep tracking it every week, every month, and see where you're going. Exactly the same as in our own company. If we want to have a turnover of 100 million in 2022, that's a target. We want to achieve it. If we want to have an EBITDA of 20 million, that's a target. We go and achieve it. We do as much as we can to go out and achieve those particular logical and objective targets. So it sounds robotic. Engineering coming out in you. Yeah, there you go. But that's the only way I can... I think strategic plans have to be objective. It's no different to... Uh, when you put a team out in the field, you might say, and I think that's what the car curlers are doing this year. They're concentrating on goals. They scored 14 in three games. So clearly that's the message strategically is to go out there. And when you have a chance to go at goal, they weren't doing that for a decade. So Kenny conceded three against Antrim last weekend. So yeah, <laughs> but I, for me, what's rare is wonderful, right? Mm. What's rare is wonderful. Uh, yeah, I'm not a betting man. 
But I, my friend said to me, when he's a betting man, he said, uh, stick 50 quid on if Kilkenny win the All-Ireland, you get 550 quid. It's my first bet in about four years. Right, right. Who knows if it'll come through, but hey. you, you would never have gotten that in 2008 or 2009. So. No, not a hope. Apart from the year that Henry Shefflin had the knee problem, Kilkenny would have won eight, nine in a row. No doubt about it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Before we move on from sport, actually, because I've had a couple of Cork people on, I always ask them this question. You're a Munster man. I'm based in Leinster. And I know you've like rugby. If you had to pick one player of the two fallen players to take a final kick of the game, drop goal kick, would it be O'Gara or Sexton? O'Gara. O'Gara. Okay. And are you just loyal to Monster or? No, I, I, I tell you the reason why is that I was in Cardiff the, the day that we beat Wales in the final drop kick. Oh. And I'm telling you, that was some atmosphere. We had some fun on the train from Swansea, uh, down to Swansea from Cardiff that night. It was just one of those atmospheres. It was just incredible. And it's just O'Gara was just, it was a risk. But I was also in Paris when Sexton scored the drop oh, goal. Wow. But it was a different circumstance. I, I, I don't know. I just, we played so badly that day in, in France and we're just lucky, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas we, it was touch and go all the way through the game against Wales in, in, in the Millennium Stadium. And I just, it just, O'Gara was under more pressure, I felt. They didn't expect it in, in the French match, but I, you know, they did expect it in the Welsh match. And, but I think O'Gara was just immense, actually. And I, look, it's hard to pick between both of them. They overlapped. O'Gara played with Bishopstown. I played with Bishopstown. So that's what my loyalties are. Networking. Yeah. That's played a big role in your success. Uh, a couple of things here. Your previous president of the Cork Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. How important do you think networking is for anyone listening to this? I, I just going back to school for a second. I, I remember when I was studying French, and thankfully I use a bit of it now in my day job. But I I, I remember reading a, an article uh, about a guy called Adnan Kashagi. This is before LinkedIn now, before any computers. Mm. This guy had a black book, and he was an arms dealer out of Saudi Arabia. And in his black book, he had it, the name of everybody he met. He also would ask questions about their what his their partners their birthdays, so that when he got to meet them again, he'd look up his black book and he'd see that he, there was something about them in, in particular that he could talk to them immediately about. And that's actually just about engagement. So if you're going to engage with people, you need to understand your customer, you need to understand who you're talking to. So actually trying to remember, so I know you, you live in Rathos, right? So I know a number of people who live around you and I could mention a number of names and straight away we'd have a conversation, mm-hmm. right? And that would take us maybe five or six minutes, could take us 15 minutes, but at least actually there's a sense that there's a networking aspect. We mightn't talk about one bit of business, but actually what we will do is actually get to know each other a bit better and get to know the people that we both know. So I know that the Grafton Barber lads live around you. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. (laughs) And I'm not a private detective, but I know that they live in Rathall. So the, the issue is that it's all about connectivity. So everybody is about, in Ireland, only about a half a degree away from everybody. So clearly, I know that Huey lives next door to you. So that's, yeah, that's about a quarter degree. Yeah. So, so that's the same with everybody. Now, if I'm talking to people abroad, I'll talk about something that is common to them. I, I was talking to a guy today called Ennis from Amman in Jordan. So I said, how come your name is Ennis? He said, I, there was a guy in my high school. My, I, I couldn't pronounce my Arabic name, but the guy in my high school... I said, he said, it was Patrick Ennis. And I said, that's a town in County Clear. I know it very well, he says. Uh, Patrick told me all about it. But it was all about actually 
that link, even about your Irish, Irishness, right? You can talk to people internationally for 10, 15 minutes about Irishness, about Biden, about Clinton, about their Irishness. People are genuinely interested in that. It's all about making that connection. So LinkedIn has, all LinkedIn has done, right, is created a digital encoding of what Kashagi was doing in his black book. Yeah, in a sense, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but the thing, what we've missed over the last number of years is we've, we're, we're last two years or year and a half, is we haven't had any FaceTime with people, right? We've recruited people. I've recruited people that work with me every single day of the week, and I've never met them. I, we bought assets and businesses, and we've never met the people on the far side. That, for me, is something you call a business revolution. But if we all stopped, there'd be no economic advancement. So the way now that we're networking is so different, right? So I've never met you before. Mm-hmm. You linked into me. We're having this conversation now. I have no problem having the conversation with you uh, because I know what you've done previously because I checked you out and you checked me out and, and we do it digitally. In the past, before digitalization, we'd have to do it through references and recommendations. So the more references and recommendations you get, the better. So I suppose my interest in becoming president of the chamber in Cork was a genuine interest of actually advancing business in Cork because I've, we've got a sense already that I've got a big red white uh, jersey on me. And, and I enjoyed the couple of years I was president. And clearly I was eight years as chairman of the port, just uh, retired there in, in February, enjoyed every one of them. And, and the port has moved on and it's moving down to the sea now. And I, I, again, we had a strategy about what we had to implement in the port. And, and thankfully, we implemented most of what we set out to do eight years ago. What continues to drive you to this day? Because you've achieved a lot in your career, both with yeah. the, the Chambers of Commerce and all your previous roles. Like, Life is not dress rehearsal, yeah. Mm, yeah, good point. Good point. One of the statements you made recently, actually, was that uh, I think it was 2030, the year 2030, you said uh, there'll be 70% renewable energy, solar parks, and yeah. there'll be a movement to hydrogen cars, not electric. So anyone who bought a Tesla might need to think again yeah. I don't have a Tesla, but that's a bold statement to make. Yeah, because looking at the technology and where it's going, it's exactly the same as the bet we took with respect to solar PV. When we started our solar PV company, we were buying panels at 50 cents a watt. We're now buying them at 18 cents a watt. So hydrogen electrolysis is actually going to come down in price. It's going to cost a lot less. Every single country now in the world has a hydrogen strategy. There's been two major announcements in Ireland already with respect to hydrogen production. Hydrogen, you can, if you've got gas central heating, I think you have in Rato. Yeah. So your gas in the future will be 20% hydrogen going in and 80% methane because that's the strategy of Gas Networks Ireland now is to inject 20% hydrogen. That hydrogen will come from offshore wind, will be going through an electrolysis machine that machine is going to basically convert water, which is abundant in this country, yeah. uh, into hydrogen and oxygen. And that oxygen can become medical-grade oxygen by a bit of filtration. And, and that hydrogen then can get blended into the gas networks. That hydrogen can be put into trucks. That hydrogen can be put into cars. The biggest issue that, that people actually have against, it might be electric cars, is the range. So my brother has an electric car only, right? And I asked him, what's the range like? And he said, the range is supposed to be 350, but I only get 260 or 270. And what happens with batteries, as you well know, is that they degrade over a period. 
Yep. So if you take your phone, if you have your phone for two years, it, it will charge up to a certain level. If you have it six months, it will charge up to a better level. They're made of the same thing. They're lithium-ion batteries. The other issue is that lithium is not really abundant, whereas water is. And the pricing in the future is going to be lithium will go one way. You still have range fare, right? And water will produce hydrogen at a cheaper price. And hydrogen will not give you range fare because it's like filling up your tank with diesel or petrol. And that's why I think that hydrogen cars will dominate in the 30s. You're right with the new phone. I actually got a new phone yesterday and I noticed the charge on it. I haven't had to charge it in yet and it's not even 40% dropped. Yeah. I had the same model. It was the iPhone 12. I, got, I had the iPhone 11 and I had to charge it twice a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so lithium mine degrades, right? So it, it, it will only take a certain charge and it's no different in cars. They, they'll say it has an opening range, but when you actually look at the detail, you'll see a curve that's coming downwards over time because you won't be able to get to that charge that you had in the first day again. This might sound like a ridiculous question, but in terms of solar energy, are you better off focused on renting or purchasing large allotments or fields to fit a lot in or going and rewarding uh, individuals with grants to get them to install solar panels or a mixture of both to achieve what you want to achieve? Both models work, actually, Ian. So if you take, there's a company called Urban Vault, not far from you, in Dublin. And Urban Vault now are offering, you might hear their ads on News Talk, but they're now offering the ability to take a rooftop, put solar PV on it, and then give you electricity at a cheaper rate than what you'll pay for it. And you don't put any capital costs into it, okay? So you're going to get cheaper electricity and green electricity guaranteed by a supplier, but you don't have to pay for it. Okay, so that's what's happening. So that's one aspect of the solar space. The aspect that we're in is different. We have very large scale plants and we have to go into the grid because we wouldn't have a consumer that would have enough demand to take it. So if you take our 50 megawatt plant in Naranjilas, which is just south of Seville, that plant is a a very significant sized plant. You you need to have the best part of 20,000 homes hanging off it. Uh, to make it work so it's a different it's a different scale issue but if you say again not far from you if you go to Tato Park and big buildings are around Tato Park the roofs around there if you put solar panels on top of that there's a big demand in 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 the Tato factory to to basically take that load they can put the panels up there you can get the electricity at a much cheaper price and you don't have to invest in it yourself and there's companies like that doing it as I say Urban Vault are already doing it. Not many people have been to Retote, so I'm shocked that you're familiar with both the Grafton Barber and Taylor Park, which is both within five kilometres. I met Ray I met Ray one night, actually, in Ashburn with you. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Three more questions for you. 2013, I think, was the year that you left Borgosh. You had said at the time that you left Borgosh and you started from the ground floor again. There's a risk in that, although there's a risk in starting any business. What gave you the itch? to leave i suppose two things on it number one i had got to the top of the industry by being head of borgash and like the only other job on the island that would be equivalent would have been esb that job there was no vacancy in that job so i would have been forced in a similar role to go abroad i had been abroad before and i didn't want to go again 
I also, over my period at the Chamber of Commerce, got to understand the psyche of a lot of entrepreneurs. And I also was influenced by what Eddie O'Connor had done previously with electricity and mainstream. I knew Eddie had worked when I was in NTR with the electricity people. And I, I said, look, let's, you've only one life again. Go, let's take the risk. You set up a business, you make a couple of wrong turns, you, you get the support from home, which is necessary. You've no salary coming in, you spend your savings, you put all of your pension fund into the first asset and you take a risk. Now, that's a far cry from being the chief executive of a semi-state company where you're assured your paycheck. There's nothing wrong with madness now and then. And I think from a risk-reward point of view, certainly so far it's paid off. And I'm not just saying in monetary terms, but certainly from the point of view of a challenge. Our company now is, we're now at about 185 people worldwide. We're in 15 countries. We're in from Japan to the Caribbean, to South America, to North Africa, into Europe. We're, we raised 185 million euros last year. We were number one in venture capital raising in Ireland last year. And we'd probably be raising a similar number in the next um, 12 months. And who knows, uh, there might be a stock market listing at some stage, but that's all for the future. But day to day, we just add more solar farms to the portfolio. That's what we do in various markets, as I say, from Japan to the Caribbean. It's a long way from board gosh. And as you said, a, a relatively safe wage. If I've done my research correct, you've been awarded the Legion of Honor Award by the French president. Yeah, that was about four years ago. I, I was ordered, I, I got uh, the Chevalier de la Légion d'Honneur, which is a Légion d'Honneur. It's a knighthood. It's a French knighthood, yeah. yeah. I don't know much about that, but two other people who've won it, Elton John and J.K. Rowling. I do know it's a big deal, so tell me what. If you're in the same category as Elton John and J.K. Rowling, that's a pretty cool club to be in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't do anything like Harry Potter or uh, Candle in the Wind, but... Yeah, it was really for investment in, in France. So we are, of the 185 people, 100, people, 100 of them work in south of France and near Toulouse. We have an office in Lyon, an office in Paris, an office in Corsica, Guadeloupe. So we, because of the fact that we were a foreign direct investor, which is the reverse of what we're used to in Ireland, Ireland being a foreign direct investor in France, uh, that got acknowledged and they give out a number of these to Irish people. There's other Irish people who've got this uh, dishonour as well, absolutely. But it was a, a very nice night with the family at the French Embassy to get the medal and down to the Marion Inn afterwards for a bite to eat and uh, a good night. Yeah, Amazing. Final question for you. I don't know where you, if you live in a house or apartment, but all your loved ones are safe. Uh, but your house is burning down and you can only save one item. What one item would that be? I assume the wife and kids are out now at this stage. They're, yeah, they're, they're all safe. They're all safe. All right, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah, I suppose that the, the one thing I would probably want to take out of the house, actually, is I know that Légion d'Honneur, and I know where it is, and I'd probably pull that out because I'm not too sure the French president, if he had a second chance, would give me another one. So. Amazing. Amazing. John, I've, I've had a great pleasure in getting to know a little bit more about you over the last 30 minutes. From my end, I wish you nothing but success, continued success going forward. And uh, thank, you. thank you for your time today. No problem. And we'll see you in uh, Cork Park, I've no doubt, in uh, the end of August. Kilkenny and Cork. Cork keep going the way they're going. I'll be terrified. <laughs> Great stuff. Good to talk to you.